outlaws driving their throbbing steel machines. Defiling whatever they touch. We want to be free to ride on the machines without being hassled by the man. Yeah, we don't want nobody telling us what to do. We don't want nobody pushing us around. Everybody to Chopper Profits. I'm Mike, I'm your host, and uh, tonight I have the pleasure of speaking to uh, someone who I've been stalking on Instagram for a little while. Um, and you know I'm kidding, but uh, it's uh, Jason Ferris. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Jason uh, is the proprietor and owner of Harold's Ironworks uh, in the Bay Area, and you can, uh, if you want to, kind of check out some of the stuff he's been doing. Uh, you can go to heraldsironworks.com. And you can find them also on Instagram at um, the at symbol Harold's Ironworks, and um, you can check out all the beautiful pictures of his kids and a lot of the beautiful metalworking that he does. Um, so, Jason, you know, the audience obviously listening doesn't get the benefit of having listened to us talk for the last hour, um, but uh, maybe we'll release that someday as a off the record <laughs> conversation. <laughs> But um, I want to know, and I'm sure people want to know, um, you know, how how did Jason Ferris uh, grow up? Like, what was life like for you uh, in the Ferris household? Well, I grew up in uh, Kansas, uh, a town called Newton, which is about 20 miles north of Wichita, which is the bigger, I wouldn't say city, but I, I yeah. guess there it would be considered a city there. Um, it's probably 150. 50,000 people, so I think that's pretty big there. Newton's uh, bigger than Hayes, Kansas, isn't it? Uh, maybe a tiny bit, but not much. <laughs> it's probably similar. Okay. Yeah. Do you know Kansas very well? I, I do. I've actually been through there a few times. I've been to Wichita, and also I, I people think I'm joking, but I've actually been to Hayes, Kansas, and stayed the night there. That is a, yeah, so that's pretty random. I was like, whoa, he's <laughs> from there, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, um, you know, Newton's grown quite a bit. These days, I haven't been there in a while. Uh, my parents don't live there anymore. They live in a even smaller town, mm-hmm. almost at at the border of Oklahoma and Kansas, straight down south from where we used to live. Okay. Um, so now, when I go home to visit, which is still kind of every couple years or so, it's totally different. Like I don't even see the old stopping grounds or anything. So, well, it feels like I haven't been truly home, like that home at least for you know since I left twenty years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, I grew up in, in this kind of like, uh, small Midwestern town and, uh, in, you know, a generation where kids still like rode their BMX bikes around town all night. Like you leave in the morning and you just got to be home at 10, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, it was a time when that was totally normal. I, mm-hmm. kinda, I don't think it, it doesn't seem like that exists anymore. Even in those same small towns, like people just don't, I don't know if, uh, Media has really scared people away from like all the freaks that are out there or what, but it just doesn't exist anymore. People don't like let their kids like run run wild around town anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not saying that people don't do it, but it's certainly not as common as it used to be. But uh, yeah, I had a great time in childhood. Um, my parents are still together, so I had like kind of like picture perfect like 
family. You know, they're mm-hmm. really close, and and I had a brother. Uh, I was the oldest. I had a brother and sister, and we were all five years apart, which is kind of a big gap. Wow. So, um, like, I'm 10 years older than my youngest brother. Okay. So I never really um, got to know him because I, I left the house at 18, so he was still pretty young, and you know, so it's kind of a... I have a brother, but I don't really know him kind of thing, or know him that well. It's not like right. we grew up together, necessarily. Right. Uh, but yeah, I started skateboarding when I was pretty young, uh, and that's sort of where everything just changed for me. I just did the typical childhood thing where I was in every single sport there was to do. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably to burn off the energy. My parents were desperate to probably get me, <laughs> get me to calm down, so it was pretty wild. Um, well, once I started skateboarding, that was like a finally one focus that I had. I wasn't bouncing all over the place. It was just like this is what I want to do, and and you know I went for it full bore. I was I was like ten when I first started. When I got when I took it a little more serious, it was probably more like eleven. When I got okay. like a pro board, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but from then on, I mean, I just skateboarded. That's all I did. That's that was what I. I everything was surrounding that. So I had a. We built a mini ramp in the backyard, like a six foot with seven foot extensions. Nice. Um, because, I, you know, I grew up at a time when that was still like the cool ramps for the, what you wanted to skate. Like, we all wanted a vert ramp, but, you know, that felt like that felt like building a house or something. And we're right. so, you know, right. on a, you know, I was like, we're working with a paper route budget, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, I mean, I remember, like, it's such a vivid memory of, draining my life savings that I had at the time, which was like 350 bucks mm-hmm. and, um, buying plywood to sheet my ramps. Like we, we kind of stole wood and like collected little bits of two by fours and did the framing over a little while. Mm-hmm. And once we got it all framed up, it was like, okay, now, <laughs> now we need new wood and that means we need money. Right. So I drained my, my life savings, which was a big deal at the time. I was like such a little kid, you know, that was like a huge amount of money. Um, but that's what we we kind of grew up around more ramps because we weren't in like a an urban area. We didn't have like cool like architecture that had neat things to skate downtown. You know, mm-hmm. it was like they just had crappy roads that the salt ate up in the winters. And we had, but we had lots of space. That everybody had huge backyards, so right. That's where you know we. At one point, we had probably like five mini ramps in the, in town. No vert ramps, but you know, like anywhere between four to eight foot would, would be what we had. So that's not bad. I mean, you know, considering no. most kids were probably didn't even have the luxury of having a ramp, you know, during that time. Because I mean, like you mentioned, you're working on a really slim budget, uh, yeah, paper out money, and so unless you were rich or you know had friends that were rich, it was like you were. Yeah, I mean. I, I think a lot of places throughout America that ramps were hard to come by, you know, and that's why street skating like kind of blew up like it did because it was much more accessible. It's just there, the street's Absolutely. right there. Everybody has it. Although for us, it was like, yeah, we have some we have some curves and some little manual pads and some, you know, like curb cuts and a couple benches, but we didn't have anything too vast for street skating. So mm-hmm. the backyards, many ramps, kind of took over. They were they were easier to come by for us at the time. And, uh, but I, I look back and, and I was so happy that I had that because I had like a really solid, like transition skating background or whatever. 
and then later in life kind of got more into street skating and that's when I got I got sponsored eventually with uh, real skateboards and that was all for street skating so when we'd show up at a ramp like I'd be one of the few at the time that could actually like hold his own on the ramps too you know mm-hmm. and then as I got older that's where I skated went back to that because it's like I guess maybe it's easier on your body or something you know so yeah <laughs> to flop around on flat ground like to just kind of roll around bumps and transitions and stuff so <laughs> well in, it's interesting I, i'm sure you probably still follow uh or keep a keep a, a couple fingers on the pulse of skateboarding nowadays and it seems like what's really huge now is it's come kind of full circle in the skate parks back to pools yeah it has it's it, it's a trip i um so i i skateboarded from you know 10 till till nowadays or whatever even mm-hmm. though it's seldom now but um uh, my, basically my whole life. So I, at one point I, I was sponsored and then, um, then I was a team manager after that, but I didn't go full, I didn't go full board with that and try to go pro or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little out of my like natural ability, if you like to put, you know, to push it to that level, that mm-hmm. professional level is like, <laughs> well, that's if you either naturally just have that or, you have to push yourself real hard. And I just like, I don't know if I want to like push myself right. to jump down 20 stair handrails. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yep. I was just trying to have fun. But anyway, I, I saw like as a team manager, uh, you know, I had to like scout for, for like potential new pros and stuff on our team. And uh, anyway, I saw like this phase of skateboarding where it went from like, like just these guys that would just have the balls to jump down these massive handrails or huge gaps or whatever. Like just they didn't necessarily look that great, or, or you'd be surprised that they could even do some of those tricks. Mm-hmm. But they just could, and that's what that's what was the all the rage. Like everybody that could do that was like an instant pro and had instant like magazine coverage, and it was all great. Yeah. But I I personally like grew up with a totally different skateboarding background with more like transition and street at the same kind of more well-rounded type of thing. And then, so I personally was more attracted to like anybody that could skate everything. And then, um, but that wasn't all, that wasn't the, the trendy style or whatever at the time for the pro scene. So, um, once I saw it, started seeing that come back around, I was like, Oh my God, thank God. It's finally like people are starting to appreciate that. And now there's guys that just shred everything so yeah. good. Like, mind-blowing you know it was style in in all aspects you know yeah because it typically it would be like somebody's super good on transition or pools or whatever but they look horrible on the street like they, their kick flips are weird looking and you know or they just don't have quite the right top that looks nice on the street right they look good in, in the parks or whatever but uh but now it's like dude there are guys that do everything and it looks amazing and they're really gnarly you know like big stuff and there's perfect style and it's cool. It's good to see. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I totally follow skating like, like a nerd, like on the internet now. So <laughs> it's so funny. Like when I, when I was working in the industry, like the last thing I wanted to do is look at some skateboard website, you know, it's like, right. God, I was saturated with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but now like, I totally like gain for the new mag and, and look at like websites and I kind of follow all the, uh, all the writers that I knew real well, or that I that I kind of like brought up, or whatever, mm-hmm. I keep tabs on their on their careers and stuff. 
and uh, and I'm still pretty close to a lot of those guys that that were underneath my wing when we were on in in the team situation. Yeah, there was some some guys that I found like in the middle of America, like some some like raw talent out there in the middle of America, and just like gave them some boards and kind of nurtured their like sponsorship, and then now they're like you know buying houses yeah. with their uh, shoe, their shoe deals and stuff like that. So. <laughs> it's crazy, but I, I'm still pretty close friends with a few of them. That's and rad. some of them have families now and stuff. So that's got to be yeah, pretty rad to cool. see. You know, watch them go from like uh, I don't want to say grommets because they were probably you know older teenagers, but um, but you know finding them and then um, mentoring them along and then being able to look back and be like, dang, that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's neat to see to see them actually like successful now and like smart with their money and. Still totally skating good and keeping up with with the par of all that because that's that's tricky. I mean, that every year there's a new generation of kids that are just so good and they're like, you know, half your age or whatever. You know? So as a as a active pro skateboarder, it's, it's always a challenge to keep up. Yeah, you know, with, keep up to that level. It's it's and, always um, it's going to go to the crazier one, right? The the guy that can jump. You know, some guy did ten stairs and. um now some dude's going to, you know, I don't know, ollie whatever down, like three flights of stairs, you know? Yeah. And just because he's crazy, he's able to, like, overcome that fear and master it, whereas everybody else gets left in the dirt. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So Yeah, yeah it, it, it's been cool, though, to see, um, to see those guys, like, kind of progress and become, now they're basically, like, veteran pros at this point. Yeah. You know, like, I, I knew them as, like, just 15 year old kids that we started like barely getting flowed product, you know, like real, real like entry level uh, sponsorships. And to, to mm-hmm. now they're like the seniors on the squad, you know, that's pretty, uh, cool. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's, and, and honestly, like, um, there's really, really almost none of them have like flailed. They've all stayed through to, to it and, um, and did really well with it. You know, when we, when we would pick these guys for the team, like, there's a, at, at a certain point, like you start seeing, there's so many good skateboarders out there that, that it's like, that's not the only thing that gets you on the team, you know, like yeah, it, it gets to a point where, and it, it, this sounds weird, but it's like anybody can skate good. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not what makes you, <laughs> right. you know, eligible for this team, but not, which isn't the case really. There's still like only a few people that can really skate that good. But, uh, you have to be in this cookie state, but you have to be somewhat marketable. We have to like, I would always have to think of that. Like, can we make, is this guy a rock star kind of thing? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and in skateboarding, it's not as crucial as you don't have to be a true kooky rock star or look like a model or any kind of thing like that. But, but there has, it has to be somebody who can come out of their shell and is, it can be like a character of right. some sort. Like, Right. It, it just has to be. Otherwise, it's like you're going to take her to the demo, and they're, they're going to skate really good, but not talk to any kids. Right. And it's going to come off weird. They're going to seem like an asshole, but yep. really they're just insecure or whatever. Yep. So we always have to think of that kind of stuff. But then also, just um, I just personally didn't want to like work with some like like you know selfish little asshole kids. So uh, we always, <laughs> I just always <laughs> tried to find guys that were like totally kind of humble and really um, really stoked to have the opportunity to be involved in this and like you know 
you know, just kind of cool, generally cool dudes. And, and we lucked out. We were able to like kind of pick and choose a little bit. And those dudes, they were cool and they still are. And they're like successful now because of that. So, that's right. You know, you got to remember, like these dudes are, they might be a good skater, but they're, you got to be cool with the guys you work with. And like, I was a team manager, so I'd be one of them. There's like filmers, photographers, mm-hmm. the guys who own the companies, the people who do the graphics, all that stuff. All those people are like your coworkers, essentially. So if yeah. you're like some pompous little fucking asshole, <laughs> or you're a drunk idiot, like, but you can skate good, like, the people just don't want to tolerate that for too long so you just don't last typically right so i i tried to like find the right guys first before we even get too far along with some guy that's just not gonna work out and and luckily i'd say at least 99 percent of those people worked out only it's only like a tiny percentage that that didn't work for one reason or another you know right. they right. they went on and did or they just branched off and did something different in their life or whatever but well, I think that's, um, you know, that what you stated there as far as, um, not, not necessarily just the marketability, but the fact that you got to be able to work with your coworkers. I mean, that's not, that's not just a thing unique to skating. I mean, that's kind of a world skill or a life skill, you know, it's like, if you can't, yeah. if you can't work with, uh, if you're a douchebag bringing down the entire rest <laughs> of your, your crew or your team, like nobody's going to want you no matter how yeah, good you exactly. can do whatever it is that you do. So yeah, you're, nobody cares. Right. Nobody's gonna care what, how talented you are. You're you're a jerk. You're a jerk. Get out of here. You know. Right. Because because honestly, like even though it's my job to do to help these guys and to you know to do the team management position, I still like. I feel like it still was a choice too. It's like, listen, I'm putting myself out here. I'm working. Like this is like a lifestyle thing for me. I'm out here constantly, and I'm doing shit for you constantly. So if you're lame, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not going to want to go out of my right. way to help you. Right. You know, I don't care what food or who's paying me to do what. Like, it's still, you know, at a certain point, it's still kind of like I'm personally invested in, in these guys as friends and and your colleagues as well. But, like, if they're little jerks, it's just be like, well, I just won't be doing anything special for this guy, you know. Right. And I never wanted to, I never wanted to have put myself in that position. So, luckily, I was kind of the guy who, who made the call of who we start like, you know, putting on the team or, or at least giving a shot, you know, mm-hmm. to, for the most part, I mean, that was basically my job to scout the new guys. So there'd always be somebody who, who kind of came in from a different angle or somebody else found him or, right. or tipped us off or like, or some shop in middle America sent in a video of their local hero. And, you know, we just kind of got, them thrown in our lap or whatever, but but still we had to like put them in the van and put them to the real test. Like, okay, we saw you could skate, but can you hang with us? You know, like, are you cool? You know what I mean? Like basically saying like, are you a douchebag or are you, are you cool? (laughs) If you're, if you're, you think you're the hot shit, you're the local hero guy and you get in here and it's like, these dudes are rock stars to some, but they're really just totally normal grounded people yeah. they're not they're not lame like that like they don't have they don't have big heads they're not kooky and they don't think they're rock stars you know but right. maybe some kid thinks they're a rock star but they don't think that of themselves so they don't act like that so right that that's a big that that has ha- that actually has happened plenty where we've got people in the van and we're like no this is not gonna work out yeah. Yeah. then i had to be that guy like hey so uh so 
it's not going to work out. You know, we uh, we got your you know, bus ticket. Is, <laughs> yeah, super awkward. <laughs> right. Dude, I, I literally had to fly somebody away from a tour. Like, wow. You know, like okay, you're we're going to finish the tour in the van, and we're going to be driving home, and you're actually going to fly home now, <laughs> and you won't be getting any more boards from us. What did I you know, do? Like, <laughs> this guy was ridiculous. He he knew exactly what he did, but yeah, that <laughs> that was the other side of that. The other flip side of that coin of hiring people. I also had to fire people too, which is super right. awkward. But well, no matter uh, where you go, it, it's it's always awkward. Yeah, it's just kind of sucked, and uh, and in and in a in a lighter scale too, like where because I did the management for thunder and spitfire which is a trucks and wheels yeah as well as the board thing so there would be like that would be like your co-sponsor kind of thing you know like if you, you had this wheel sponsor but it wasn't your main sponsor sponsor it was just kind of a secondary thing mm-hmm. so there's plenty of times for that where i'd have to like cut people off off that list and and they weren't people that were in the van with us all the time they weren't as close so but it's still super awkward that that was like the worst side of that whole job you know yeah it's 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 just weird, like crushing people's dreams, kind of thing, you know, like because you know they they're just like, wait, what are I doing? And you know, sometimes it's like so it sounds so shallow, but it's like you're well, you're old news, buddy, you know, like it's yeah, they just um and, and it, people's careers just slow down and they just become kind of stagnant. I think not, people... not everybody like gets older as a pro and like continues to push it. Is continuing to be in the magazines and right. and marketable, blah blah blah. So um, it, it just sometimes they just sort of fall off, you know. And that's when it's really hard to to cut them because they know. Then it's like, oh shit, my career's ending. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you know they're they're feeling it, and it's it's hard to be that well, reality. They had, but they had to have known like it was coming. I mean, you know, there's it, I think. And maybe I'm just looking at it from my perspective. Me as an individual, like I would know, I know when I'm slacking off and not doing the best I can, or even pushing myself to do something. And so it's it's really just a confirmation when someone else around yeah. you realizes it or sees it and and approaches you on it. And then you're like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, like, and typically it's been probably quite a while. It's not like nobody would be cut like just as soon as they start sort of slipping a little bit or or not. To, the hot guy that month it's like yeah it would be a good solid year or so of like you really haven't done much at all and you're not really <laughs> you know it you know it's skateboarding so it's a tricky thing but it's when you were sponsored it's that is your job so your job is to be to to endorse the companies that that sponsor you so you gotta like it's kooky as it sounds you gotta be totally marketing these right. products right like you're that's your job Right. So um, you you can take it as like a job and try to get real serious about it, which makes it all dorky, or you just do your thing that got you sponsored in the first place and just continue to be you and skate and have fun and, and it'll all be good. But right. some people, like, uh, they just slow down or they get the rock star thing where they kind of think they don't have, they don't have to push themselves anymore because mm-hmm. they're kind of too cool for that. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not the case. So it, that's when it's kind of, I think, uh, extra hard hit for them because they're like, wait, what? I'm, but I'm the guy, I thought, you know? <laughs> it's time to get <laughs> and, checked. And really, and the, the companies, are, the company owners are just, 
they put they put the heat on me to get these clear basically clear the budget like yeah get this laid off we got all these new kids out here we need to we need to be able to afford to like get this new generation on our squad that these other guys are just holding us back so right Gosh, there's so much there's so much truth in what you said uh as far as like life truth you know it doesn't just apply to um yeah that I was just gonna say that's just life yeah I mean you it's just the way it is it's the cycle it's not just skateboard industry by any means that's just everything you can apply that to the music industry to you know tv to movies to i mean some people might say that that's not real life but you know those are real people and they're using their talents and you know or not using them i guess in this case yeah Um, but uh so then let me ask you this um you know we kind of we kind of walked with you a little bit from growing up um in Kansas, at what point did you decide to come out to California? Because you're in the Bay Area now. Uh, what was that journey like? I mean, did you just pick up well, and say, "I'm going"? Well, kind of. I, I, um, I guess it would be a long time dream. Just um, you know, skateboarding from the age of ten or so. I almost immediately wanted to to move to California because in the magazines, that's what I I knew of skateboarding. My connection was basically Thrasher magazine. That's where like yeah. I learned about punk rock. That's where I learned about uh, New Wave or any kind of other kooky bands or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, or goth or anything. It was literally from those magazines because I, I was in a small farm community, so there was no other influences of music or any, any other kind of culture there at all besides, like, you know, the, the hick people and their little their weird gear and then just slow, slow-paced farmers that, they're totally on their own trip. It's not, they're not a, not flashy at all or whatever. Right. So like the, the magazines were my connection to, to this, this like life that I wanted so bad. And it was all, it seemed to be all California for the most part, you know, so that was just, that's where I fixated. Like, that's where I got to go. Going to California. So from a pretty early age, I had this unrealistic fantasy of just moving to California. But then as I got older, I kind of stuck true to that, to that dream, and just uh, I made it happen. So my senior year of high school, I stayed through all the way through graduation because my parents were. I knew it would just like they would be totally riding me if I didn't, you know, if I left early and didn't graduate because I was not going to go to college basically. So right. I was like, if I'm gonna, <laughs> if I'm gonna like just leave after high school and just go skateboarding around the world or whatever, <laughs> I better at least graduate or I'm never going to hear the end of it from them. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they were exact, They were really cool parents for sure, but they weren't supportive of skateboarding. That was not like cool. Mm-hmm. I paid for, like they bought the first, first skateboard I ever got, but after that, that was it. So I had to buy all my own equipment. I never got mom to buy anything or whatever. I had to have jobs and stuff because, um, it was just kind of seen as sort of a distraction and it, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to college and didn't have no, I had no ambition for college. So mm-hmm. that it wasn't cool to them. They were just like, oh, great. He's, he's just skateboarding and it seemed like such a waste of time, you know, <laughs> uh, who would have known that it would take me as far as it did, you know? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I basically the, um, the day I graduated high school or the next day, I should say, I got in a car with a friend from Kansas and we drove straight to California like just straight through. We stopped mm-hmm. in Colorado for a second because um, he had lived there the year prior because he was one year older than me. 
until he graduated year four, but um, he lived in Summit County, which is like, that's like this ski kind of area, it's mm-hmm. all the mountains and stuff, and Breckenridge and all the all the kind of popular mountains up there. Mm-hmm. So we stopped there, which was the summer or late spring, it was in May, and we skateboarded up there for a little bit because there's plenty of skateboarders that were snowboarding too. And then, um, and then continued on straight to, um, straight to California, straight to Southern California. Wow. Um, Huntington, Huntington Beach, to be specific. Yeah. And, uh, that was 1993, so it was like the pinnacle for, uh, actually Huntington Beach was like one of the hot spots at the time, but, um, Huntington Beach High School was super, super popular spot. Mm-hmm. Ed Templeton was, you know, from there and a bunch of different guys, so, I, 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 we we went straight to that high school, and and uh, like right, like literally from the freeways right there, and uh, you know we get out and it's what there's Ed Templeton skateboarding Crestside Bluff slides <laughs> like what you know like yeah this is like totally surreal because I had never seen I never really grew up seeing pros very often there was an occasional demo through Kansas but it's pretty rare and then. It's Ed Templeton, and then there's Jeremy Ray, and, you know, Keith Huffnagel was there. I don't think he lived there at the time, but he was there skateboarding. And there's people filming, and sure enough, first day in California, I make it into a 411 in the background. (laughs) (laughs) In the background of, like, Jeremy Ray skating or whatever. And and back then, 411 was, like, the coolest thing. It was kind of newer then, Uh, but it was, like, this new video magazine that, totally different format nobody is like a really kind of new thing it was really kind of a big deal right but yeah it was so cool to show like call friends back home and like did you see me before one like jerry ray is a backside side low for like 20 feet <laughs> in the background those two legs that's me that's, that, me. that's, me, dude. <laughs> that's awesome yeah so but anyway that, that got me all the way out of here and then um I kind of just floated around, and in in hindsight, it's the weirdest thing to just move with not knowing anybody in the area really, and just just going, just showing up. Yeah. Like, here's my bag, here's my skateboard, and I'm here, and I'm going to figure it out. I don't know where I'm going to work or live or anything. You yeah. know, and like when I figure that nowadays in life, like it's like, holy oh, shit, that is so sketchy. <laughs> what am I thinking? You know. I'm thinking after I, was, after I had a panic attack and, you know, anxiety for yeah. like a week about where I was going to live or anything. Yeah, no, like just doing it and then thought like, I got tons of money saved up. I had like 800 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be fine. I've got tons. <laughs> That's Taco Bell and, uh, for like, I don't know, six months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I didn't, uh, we didn't party or anything and we just skateboarded. So it was like just food and I had some skateboards. Some, you know, I bought a few, you know, decks and wheels and stuff stocked. Mm-hmm. But uh, the funny thing is, in in hindsight, when I think of like my bag I packed, you know, I had like I just packed because I was moving out, so I packed like life stuff. So, which is totally weird. Like, so I had this big Thrasher duffel bag full of, you know, like your typical socks and underwear and t-shirts and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I had like a couple sheets and some pillowcases. <laughs> and then I had a couple plates and like some forks, rubber band together, and like, like I took like dishes and. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't even have a house or anything, and like I'm packing, so I'm dragging around the silly like bed sets and stuff like, and 
dishes and weird things that like I never <laughs> used or even pulled out of, but I just drug them around, <laughs> just thinking that like, well, I'm moving out, this all needs like house stuff, you know? Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, yeah, I never used it, but right. it was I had there. It, and it, and I had, and I think back, it's like too many sheets, you know, like, <laughs> massive sheets folded up. That's yeah, it's ridiculous. But, uh, but then I, um, I floated around a little bit and then I actually moved back out of California. That only lasted about six months in okay. Southern Cal. Okay. And then I went, um, to Oregon for a little bit, um, Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Or uh, that same friend who did the snowboarding thing, he went there because it was for snowboarding or whatever. And I just kind of followed, you know, wherever I had a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just kind of like, well, I know this one guy. Let's go there. So we went to Bend, Oregon for that one season. And there was a little indoor mini ramp, which saved me because, you know, it's like snowed snowed in all year. So right. I couldn't skate. But there was the mini ramp, so that, that held me over. And then I moved to Colorado um, or back to Kansas for like a few months and then with my friend Texas Dan to Colorado and we lived there for like two years and then I uh, and we skated all the time so we had a pretty pretty good little crew at the skate park we met I met a bunch of friends that I'm still good friends with today mm-hmm. uh, from that, that that actually became in hindsight that became kind of my like what some people have like their high school friends they grew up with that they're really close with still right or their childhood friends it would be more like high school era that those friends i don't know anymore but the those guys i met in, in colorado when i was like 19 and 20 mm-hmm. those are guys that i'm still close with today and some of them still they work in the skateboard industry and they're still we're all still kind of skateboarders somehow still doing it one way or another so hmm. kind of cool but then i moved from there to um san francisco and then I've been here since then. So then at what point, because um, we've obviously talked a little bit about your love for four wheels, uh, two trucks and four wheels, <laughs> but what, yep. where did your love for two wheels, and and I would kind of like to venture down that road a little deeper to say what got you into wanting to even like work with metal and manipulate metal? Yeah, um, I guess for motorcycles, I kind of always had it. I had some kind of meter. Honda or some kind of something or other for quite a while. Like when I was younger in my my late teens, I had um, a, C, a little 69 CB 350, 354. Mm-hmm. And then um, I rode that thing around forever. No license plate or anything. It's just some, I bought it for 50 bucks. It came with another bike for parts too. <laughs> nice. It was great. I just bought it like like on the side of the road in this grass little field, like the dude had a couple lawnmowers and a couple motorcycles, a few things for sale, you know? But anyway, I had that thing and I don't even know if I ever changed the oil. I, I just rode it for, for like a couple of years, crashed it and just, you know, like it, it ruled. But I had a, um, so I was in the motorcycles from, uh, you know, late teens on. And then, uh, I had that same bike actually I had in Colorado for a little while, but, um, then I, when I moved to, I was always skateboarding, and that was always my focus. I wasn't, like, trying to build a bike or anything. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to um, San Francisco and eventually got another little Honda, kind of a cascade out little little Honda just to ride around the city. Mm-hmm. And that kind of re-sparked my whole, like, motorcycle thing. Uh, or, or, you know, like, oh, these are rad. I forgot, <laughs> forgot how fun it is to ride these things, you know? Right. And then I, I was also at this weird point in my life where, 
I'd been skateboarding for so long, and then I was sponsored, and then I worked in the industry, which made me like completely saturated with skateboarding. I honestly was like desperate for a way out. Like, <laughs> Interesting. As weird as it sounds, I was like, get me the fuck away from this shit. You know, like yeah. everything I do, everything, there is nothing else in my life that I need. I desperately needed something different. Right. And uh, the motorcycles was, was the answer. I was like, oh, this is, I forgot how fun it is to ride these things. And then I totally got into like wanting to build one too or do something different. And that's when I ran into Jason Jesse. Okay. Um, I think it was 90, I want to say it was 99. I went to the consolidated ramp um, when he worked there. They had a little vert ramp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had that, he rode that, his, uh, what's now the black Tibetan. He rode that thing to work all the time. So he had that bike there and I was like, wait a second, this is a chopper. Cause when <laughs> I grew up, when I grew up in Kansas, I, I had uncles that were bikers and they were into, you know, it's, in the one percent of clubs and some weird mm-hmm. stuff in the area, but it was the seventies kind of era where it was just really raked out, freaky, little ratty like triumphs or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I just when I thought of a chopper, that's what I thought of at that point. So or my whole life, you know, that's what I just didn't pay too much attention to it. I just thought that that's the way they looked, and that was that. So when I saw that bike, I was like, wait, this is way different looking. This is insane, and honestly, at the time i just was like it looks like you're just sitting on a motor going down the road like it's so stripped down yeah and and at that moment when i first saw it it really looked stripped down to me i was like shit this thing is crazy (laughs) so that um that was it that was the moment where i was like okay i have to get one of those i mean it didn't happen immediately but i knew that that was the path i needed to go towards and figure that out how the hell do i get that then it came the reality of those things are way too extensive. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. God dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I started like the kind of typical route of um, lower budget chopper. So I started looking for British bikes. Mm-hmm. And um, I came across um, a BSA. Um, I, actually, I got a BSA frame from Max, who I was close friends with. And that sort of started me on the on a path to trying to find BSA parts. Mm-hmm. And then I I try to find a motor and stuff. I I found like a full done running chopper that was super sketchy in hindsight, but it was um, it was really affordable. So I just got it and then immediately started like taking things off and and tweaking it out. And that's where that's where like the whole metal uh, the metal side of everything, like fabrication wise, sort of like sparked in me. I was like, okay. wait. I really like to do this. I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to weld things and make all my silly ideas come to life, you know? So, <laughs> right. um, and that's just the very beginning of it. Like I wasn't, I didn't quite know what I was going to do or what. I didn't have this like grand plan of this ultimate chopper to build or anything like that. It was just was like the, when the light bulb first went off, you're like, Oh, maybe, maybe this is awesome. And, and like I said, I was still pretty desperate for like something different, in my life that right. wasn't skateboarding. So right. that, that became the avenue and riding the bikes is super fun. I mean, it's like an indescribable feeling, especially if it's like a, a weird chopper that you built. I mean, holy shit, that feels, that feels amazing it, to go down the road on something you built. It's like it's indescribable. That feeling is, is crazy. And you know, people are looking at you like, wait, what 
the hell? Look at that thing, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you try you shift in, and people are like, "What did he do with his hands? Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know that you're possibly like going through some around some corner, and you just change somebody's life, you know, like right. Some kid is like, "What the hell? I have to do that," and and literally that stuff happened because when I first got into that, there was only a handful of people that were into choppers. You know, like in in our younger scene, in our, mm-hmm. in our age, type of a group of people, mm-hmm. and then like fast forward ten years later, shit, there's thousands of people into it, right? And building building amazing bikes and just totally going for it. So, in a weird way, like going around a corner, changing somebody's life that was standing on the street, really happened. I mean, they obviously people saw like other, you know, they they seen not just me by any means, but like right scene. When you see somebody on one of those bikes, just like when I saw Jason, it just changes you. You're like, that looks, you, I guess you either look at it and go, that looks amazing, I want to do it, or that looks retarded and <laughs> super dangerous and that guy's an idiot. That's, what, peop- that's <laughs> you know? what people say when they see me ride by. They're like, that dude looks retarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy looks ridiculous. <laughs> Definitely crashing that thing. I'm going to go buy a Volkswagen Bug. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, it, it, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because I wanted to ask you that question too. Um, what is your kind of your current or what is your take on the current scene? Because you, you know, I'm sure um, I actually don't know this for a fact, so I'm just going to throw this out there and hopefully I'm right. <laughs> but I'm sure you've been uh, around probably the same length of time as Max has. Maybe maybe Max was around a little bit longer uh, or a little bit before you, but I'm sure you guys have kind of seen the scene together Um you know what? What's your current take on it? Like, uh, from what it was to yeah, what I it's mean, become and I've, where it might I've be. Yeah, it's come a long way. Um, basically, like Max was influenced by Jason Jesse the same as, as I was. We we were. I mean, he rode for real. I was the real team manager, so we were super close. And basically, he got really influenced by with Jason and the bikes and the lowriders and everything. Uh, probably he's probably like a, a good year or so ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he started like trying to find a bike too and got really into it and uh so he's the one who like he took the first step we both were, like had seen jason's stuff and jason was like quite a quite a ways ahead of us at the time mm-hmm. but um um yeah so we we kind of about the same time he was always like a year or so ahead of me of everything you know he'd already like had his first panhead before i had like a i had a, a bsa thing in here He'd already stepped into like the Harley chopper stuff, and mm-hmm. and, um, and then we went, eventually I got a panhead and we you know kind of did our thing together. But uh, but yeah, that that was at the beginning. Like blogs weren't around yet. Uh, the insta the little um, definitely not Instagram, but the um, the message boards and all that stuff were like I don't even know if they were quite there yet, but they were about to start. Maybe mm-hmm. some of the real early ones, you know. But yeah, it was just so it wasn't really like this public craze yet where anybody could could like dive in and find out information. It was still kind of like you still had to like search out parts and find some weird old dude to tell you how to adjust this clutch. And right. it was hard, you know, it was like a weird struggle. And, right. um, and nowadays it's like everything's handed to you and it's all right there on the internet and yeah. eBay's got all the parts and people are making aftermarket parts that are actually pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a whole, it's grown so fast and, and, and so much. It's, it's kind of a trip to, 
to see it. And then, like I'm, I was talking to Brandon uh, from Mola's Changer, I've, mm-hmm. we share a shop together now, and uh, I was talking to him the other day, and I was like, it's a trip because we're kind of the veterans in this weird little scene, even though we've only been into it for 10 years or whatever. But Right. But, but it's the scene, it's this scene, and our our specific little, like, new new bike culture thing or whatever it is, I don't even know what to call it, but uh, mm-hmm. it's only been 10 years ago it wasn't around at all, so we're sort of the veterans in a, in a weird way, you know? Not, by no means are we, like, some OG biker guys or anything, but, <laughs> right. like... You know what I mean? It's like yeah. great. We're not some old gray beard that knows everything about everything, but but in this little tiny world, we have been around since kind of the beginning. You know, like like Brandon always loves to say, he's in the you know he's in the dice number four or something. You know, like right. You know, they're around. So we've been doing this for quite a while. Well, in this you, scene, we're we're veterans. Where do you think it's headed? I mean, do you think um, that? the popularity and everything is going to maintain or you think the air is going to let out of it and it's going to go back to being kind of small and I mean, where do you see it headed? Yeah. Well, it's kind of hard to say. I, I would, I never would have guessed it would get this big first of all. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it is kind of hard to say what <laughs> I want to say it's going to keep growing, but at the same time, it's, it's just shifting directions. Like it's, things are going from, I don't know, like there's, there's, I guess there's just a few different like styles. There's different avenues that people are taking. Some people are diving into the metal fabrication like I did. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. I want to build the whole goddamn bike. I want to build a motor. Right. I want to, you know, I just want to do it all myself. I don't want to buy anything, you know? Right. And, and I want the challenge of learning how to do all that. And then there's other people that are, that are really diving into like, like, locating a survivor chopper or like like nostalgic or old old chopper parts and like mm-hmm. all crusty and you know cracked blacker paint and all that stuff and those and then i i don't know i guess there's other people that are doing more performance type of like kind of street so there's all these little niches know. essentially yeah there's like this that's what i was saying like i'm trying to get to like i don't know how it will if it'll necessarily like fade away, I just feel like those different avenues will maybe grow, and some will shrink, some will grow. And but as far as the whole thing just like crumbling eventually and it becoming this real underground scene again, I don't know if that's really in the near future exactly. Right. But um, and and honestly, I can't believe it's as big as it is. But and you step away, it's really not that big. You know? it's yeah, like, yeah. We think it's big because it's bigger in the last few years, but if you're not into this bike stuff, I mean, I, I meet people every day that never heard of any of this shit we're talking about, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. So it's like, and that 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 would be, that's something I learned from skateboarding, being so saturated with it, thinking that that's all that it is, this whole world is skateboarding. Right. And I left skateboarding and, like, started doing trade work, and then I'm, like, working with these people that never even heard of skateboarding really at all or like you know it's like then you get a real reality check of like oh yeah i guess that is kind of a small kind of small (laughs) world you know that's just a little blip that's a little blip of what what else is going on in the rest of the world you know it's um it's definitely an interesting thing i mean i've had this conversation with a few people um you know on on mic and off mic um just asking them what their thoughts are on the scene and um, it, it, you're right. It is, it's very saturated where it's at. I mean, 
it's it's small in the sense of you know a global type scene, but at the same time, I know that uh, you know most of the world looks at Southern California or even Northern California for that matter. They look at the West Coast for what's going on with with choppers and bikes, and um, it's just interesting. I'll be really curious. I'm sure as as many other people would be too, including yourself, to see where it goes in the next ten years. Yeah, I'm. I'm I can't wait. I'm I'm definitely in it for the long haul. I, I love bikes and stuff. Uh, I've kind of shifted directions a little too, and I think everyone everyone does that to a certain extent. They kind of grow with it or whatever, and mm-hmm. and you know go a different route. Like I said, I, I love the fabrication side of really dove headfirst into to metal fabrication. That's like my I love doing that now. Like I work in the shop more than I ride a bike for sure, and I I'm plenty happy, mm-hmm. but you got to ride a bike every once in a while or it's just silly. You need to remember like why you're struggling on these parts, trying to make some right. or whatever. But uh, right. you know, it's like, yep. even if you just go to the coffee shop for a second, it's like, Oh yeah. Well, that's you've, amazing. You've got, some, about that. you've got fantastic roads up there. I mean, so, you Oh know, yeah. Why could you, how and could we, you not get out there? Exactly. And we don't have the shutdown winter like the East coast or Midwest or whatever. So it's like, yeah. you ride all year round. It's awesome. But uh, so metal fabrication, all that kind of stuff, I definitely really go into it. I want to learn more and just get better and machining and all that stuff. And it's like such a new world to me, and it's there's tons more to go. So, um, but I also started. I got into drag racing just recently, as like a I saw that still on still kind of a nostalgic version, not like modern stuff or anything, because I still love the old. Harley's, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's my new like weird thing to do, you know. And uh, part of that came from um, having two kids and wanting to like not ride on the street constantly, mm-hmm. like I used to, you know. Uh, as far as safety goes, like it's all of a sudden an issue that I think about. Whereas before, like I, I just rode anywhere all the time and didn't have no regard for any of that, any like, you know getting hit by a car type of, you know, issue in life. Right. Think of it. And that's certainly something you don't want to ever think about when you're riding. It's like, yeah, that's not try, a good idea to I try not focus to think, on that stuff. But Yeah, I try not to think about that ever. I mean, I ride daily. No, and you, and you don't. You shouldn't. You, the only time you do is just, like when you're not riding. It'd be weird to think of that when you're riding. You just, I sit at a light and think, what if someone comes screaming up behind me and doesn't see me and just plows me? Like, that yeah. would suck. Oh. I hope they kill me, because I don't want to wake up from that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It would be harsh, yeah. I don't, you know, I just, I never thought of that when I rode, and still do, don't to this day, but but I did think of, like, as far as, like, getting it, I did crash my shovel head and broke my leg, and it totally sucked, man. It, like, for a full year, it was, like, you know, disabled, basically. I couldn't couldn't kick a bike. I couldn't hardly do anything, because I had this big, stupid cast on forever. Hmm. But that was kind of a little reality check of like, oh yeah, wait, getting hurt, not necessarily getting like killed or anything, but just getting injured these days with my family and stuff. I I don't have like health insurance. Mm-hmm. I don't have like dis- disability option. You know, I would just be screwed. So that became a, all of a sudden a concern like, oh, maybe I should like think of that. But, but then again, I still can't like hard for me to get that serious about that kind of stuff so i think in this weird way like subconsciously i did kind of like step away from riding in the street all the time and the drag racing was like an an avenue to like focus on like 
Well, I can ride there, maybe. Not that that's the safest <laughs> thing to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's my option. Or I can't ride on the street because it's dangerous. So I'm going to get on this super sketchy bike and go as fast as it can possibly go and possibly blow up. But I was, um, I was wondering how you were going to rationalize that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no grandma that will T-bone me at the intersection. So that's true. That. I, but I've, I've, I've always joked about that with Molly. Like, yeah, my idea of being safe on the motorcycle is get a fucking sketchy drag bike and try to go way too fast. <laughs> but uh, I, I've, I fell in love with the... I've always thought like older style race bikes look like those look like choppers to me. Like yeah. the first time I saw early, like um, this would be probably early eighties, but saw flat track bikes. I was mm-hmm. like, Holy shit. Those things look amazing. They just look so cool to me. Mm-hmm. And really they just kind of, they're just a stripped down motorcycle. And they're flat track bikes, especially this really classic motorcycle. Like they're just like a textbook version to me, but but they're stripped down, and that's kind of what I've always liked about choppers too. They're just so stripped yeah. down. So, so that that race bike thing, at least the old stuff, I, I'm still like, I can't get into sport bikes no matter what. I don't care what MotoGP is. <laughs> right. Isle of Man, that stuff is super impressive. Like, I, yeah, it's not like I'm gonna say that's lame, but aesthetically, the bikes I could care less. Like that, that stuff doesn't look cool to me at all. But I mean, the, the performance of them are mind blowing. That stuff yeah. is super neat. But uh. I, I'm just still like hung up on aesthetics because of the chopper thing, I guess. But so when I went to in, in, this interest of drag racing, like I immediately wanted a Harley and I wanted an old one mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be cool, you know? So I started kind of researching like what I can do, how do I do it? Like what parts, what, what style, what, and then, you know, then it's like now you're stepping into this race world and you talk to all these guys, and they're just like, it's just a whole other avenue. Like, yeah. everything is different, you know? Yep. The, the first thing they're going to ask you is like, well, how fast do you want to go? What what kind of time are you trying to do? You know, you're like, I don't know, fast? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you doing a 10-second bike, a 9-second bike, an 8-second bike? Like, what are you talking about here? So, What's the lowest uh, I can have? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fast? What, how fast can I go? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's... For me, it's really exciting because it's such a new experience. It's like a there's a huge learning curve to go through, but uh, it's like like at the beginning of skateboarding. Like every day, there's a point at the beginning when you're learning all the basics. Mm-hmm. That every day you kind of like log in a new, you clock in a new couple tricks on the on the ramp that you learned or whatever. And it's like it's so exciting because it's all so wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all new. So that's. That's for me. That's how the drag bike thing feels. It feels just like the very beginning of the chopper stuff for me. It's like started over. You know, it's like mm. it's all open and just so new and weird and it's crazy. Like I have so much to learn, but it's amazing. I want to learn. I want to make mistakes and make a fool of myself and and try just do it. I want to do it so bad. So I I had this real serious ambition to like to do a. Um, a drag bike out of my generator shovel. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, like, real serious. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to do anything different. That's what I'm doing. I don't care what anybody says because it's not practical or whatever. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I was dead set for, like, good six months of doing all my research trying to, like, find parts and mapping this all out, like, in theory. And then um, I was talking to my good friend, Pat, who's going to do the motor work for me, and, and he was in for it 
at the beginning, and then we started kind of getting a little further with it. And he saw that I was serious, and we're not like we're actually going to do this. And then he's like, "Well, it's going to cost quite a bit to do what you're going to do, and everything you want to do because you want to actually run it. I just look cool. It's going to blow up immediately. That right. motor will fail, and then there's no way around it." Because, you know, he's like <laughs> contradicting yourself. Like, you want to do this thing to this motor, but you don't want to disintegrate the motor. He's like, you're going to, that thing is just going to fail immediately. You want to lighten everything and get it spinning as fast as possible without boring it all out and maybe not making it this big, big inch motor. But right. it's those those motors can't handle what you're wanting to do. So the reality of all that and the cost of it was staggering. And then the fact that it would, like, just break immediately was like, well, I guess maybe I can think of something different. And and uh, he was also he was also saying, like, we need to find a drag bike to stare at and just, like, get, like, one that we could look at up close and find out exactly what to do with certain certain aspects of the frame and all these different things we wanted to look at. So mm-hmm. I found one locally that was, like, almost to the T that I, of what I had in my head of what I wanted to build. And um, at the time, I didn't have any money, so it was, like kind of distant. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I talked myself out of it. Like, I wouldn't want that anyway. It's already, somebody already <laughs> built it. Lame. <laughs> so, then I then I got it, and it wasn't even very much money, but then I got a little bit of money, and I was like, maybe I should see if that thing's still around, because it would cost almost 10 grand to do what I want to do to the motor, and it will blow up. And that's just the motor. <laughs> There's still tons more, you know, so like, okay, maybe I'll call this guy. Sure enough, it's still around because no idiot is buying a nostalgic drag Harley. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, there was one pretty pretty small market. Yeah, there's <laughs> one dude super into it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I went there. The guy was really cool. He used to race it, and he's an older guy now. And mm-hmm. uh, he rebuilt, uh, or he kind of refurbished it somewhat. He got it like race ready, and um, was going to run it, and then. He something happened to the car the last time he tried to run it. He put race gas in, and the um, the slope needle that stuck and or melted the tip of it and stuck, or whatever. So he just ended up pouring gas out of the, at the line. But so he didn't run it recently, but he kind of got it ready to. Then he just realized like he's like sixty five and you know has too many hot rods and other projects or whatever. So it was just kind of one of those things he just needed to get out of the way mm-hmm. and. Uh, but he raced it in the in the early '80s. He has a bunch of pictures and stuff, so hmm. it's been kind of rebuilt since then. But anyway, the guy was really cool, and um, the, the bike is so close to what I wanted to build. It was it was just hard to say no. And then when he started it up, it was like, oh my god, this is <laughs> this is a drag bike. Holy shit! Like yeah. I tried to put a little Instagram video of it starting, but. Nothing does it justice. You have to be there and feel the ground shake. And Absolutely. You're allowed. It is so intense, man. I've had the privilege it's, of, um, it, I, we were talking before the show, and I was telling Jason, um, I, I have the privilege of being over at Wink's place, uh, Wink Eller, and yeah. you know he has his salt flat bike there. And, um, man, starting that thing, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, See, I'm going to totally forget the stats, but anyway, it's an SNS X wedge motor. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's like is two... it the same? Oh no, it's not the same one that was in that Born Free bike. It's different, right? No, it's a different one. Yeah, um, yeah. That bike, I mean, that motor that was in there, 
was uh, a drag motor that you know he's raced before. Yeah. Um, but no, his uh, his Bonneville bike. I mean, that thing's like 320 horsepower to the rear. It's a closed loop yeah. system, you know, just and turbo. So <laughs> it's just insane. Psycho. Yeah, and the, and he rides it like a boss. Every every time I see him, a picture of him on that bike, I'm just thinking he's like 15 on that bike. Like regardless <laughs> of how old he is, he's 15 again and just like. I'm going as fast as I want to go. Yeah. So I know that it's feeling. Awesome. Well, let me it, ask you. Those things are they're something you have to see in person and um, to hear and feel those things start up. They're so intense. And then, like that, like that. See, that level is what I'd love to get to. You know, like he's he's been doing that shit for years, and he can yeah. build the gnarly motors and these crazy systems that that are able to, you know produce this massive amount of power that's totally practical and actually goes and doesn't just blow up immediately you know it actually hold hold true for a while so and and bonneville's the other my other like little dream i'd love to like get there eventually too with the same bike i just like to kind of redo it re-gear it and kind of you know give it a whirl out there too i went to bonneville the first time maybe like two years three years ago Mm -hmm. and um that that was like a weird life changing moment. Mm-hmm. I went there. I was like, it was right in the peak of kind of this weird. There's like there's kooky like chopper drama that's that, that exists, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the reason I don't like pay attention to message boards or look at any of that kind of stuff. Because <laughs> that's usually where it all stems from. <laughs> there's drama in the scene. Yeah. That's Wait so a weird. second. <laughs> yeah. So that stuff was like totally bothering me. I tried to ignore it, but it's like. It sort of was like stealing the like chopper, my little passion. You know, I was like, gosh, yeah. this guy, everybody's making it kooky. Like it's not supposed to be like this. So I go out to Bonneville, and it was just life changing because there'd be like ten dudes all surrounding like one bike, and they're all like kind of like this this camaraderie and this everyone's cool with it. No one's like trying to like hoard the glory of this bike. You know, it was like right. they all share it. And they all were, most of these dudes are older, too. They're kind of like retired guys just kind of having fun. But but um, it just looked enjoyable. It's like, oh, these dudes are just here. They're doing it. They've been working all year to get this silly bike out here. They're, some of them are frantic to, like, get things race ready. And some people are just in their own pace, just kind of, like, hanging out, like, not really caring if they break records or anything. They're just kind of having fun, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um it was this weird thing. I was like, that's what we should be doing. We should be, we should like, as this little chopper culture, I wish there would be like, in every little scene, like everyone, whether it's a city or area of state or whatever, if everybody had like that, like we all have these one, this one scene, they have this freaky race bike and they all kind of chip in on it and, and build it. And they're trying to get it to Bonneville or whatever. I just had this like weird fantasy, like, That'd be so rad. Instead of this kooky drama about who's best is cooler or whatever right. the hell they talk about. Right. Like if we just had this focus of this of a bike that was shared instead of like who got the first ripple pipe and did you know, like <laughs> oh the weak clutch pedal, I was the first one that found that, you know, like Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's that stuff is so dorky to me, like yeah. and the 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 avenue of this camaraderie with the, the Bonneville thing was like to me, it was like this. I know it's a total fantasy that we could get together like that and build these race bikes as a you never group know. or whatever. But you never know, man. But yeah, but I was like, that's what we should be doing. 
we should be doing that. So I had this, that's where the dream started with the drag bike. And I was like, I'm going to get a fucking drag bike. Cause I'm, <laughs> I, the Bonneville thing is a little far fetched for some reason to me. Like mm-hmm. it performance wise, I was like, I don't know. I got to kind of, I got to learn how to do things more for that. But the drag bike, I was like, man, we can get the bike to go real fast for just a short amount of time and, and kind of learn from there. And as far as, performance for for motors goes and, and try to try to start from that point plus when you see like old drag bike footage it's so violent and freaky yeah. i mean it is it is shocking like they're they're on the verge of like crashing the whole time and the yeah. wheels and it's just freaky you know but, and honestly that attracted the hell out of me i was like dude <laughs> that looks awesome like so sketchy <laughs> i love it you know like yeah it looks so dangerous and, but, you know, in a controlled manner somewhat, but the, it just looks so violent, too, and just, oh, like, look crazy, and I, I just wanted to, to do that, so. Um, and and that's old bike stuff I'm talking about, like, the yeah, modern yeah. shit. The modern stuff just looks like some freaky rocket that just takes off. I mean, it's it's almost not even impressive, because it looks, it doesn't even look real, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah. oh, he's did a quarter mile in, I don't know, five seconds or whatever. It's like they push the button yeah. and it just poof, gone. Yeah, it's just like, and then yeah, they went three hundred miles an hour or whatever. It's just it's shocking. Yeah, but it's almost too. It's not even can't even like it doesn't even seem real. You know, it's like it's so to me. Uh, plus, I'm I love the old stuff anyway. But yeah, uh, yeah, that whenever I saw the footage of that or pictures or whatever, I was like, oh my god, just no face shield or anything, just super <laughs> hairball. Dress yep. shoes and some sketchy leather pants. You know, like, this yep. guy looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging on for dear life with the front wheel off the ground almost, you know, yeah. most of the way down the, the track. Scary stuff. How well, are... yeah, that that's my new kind of thing. I still love, totally love choppers. It's not like I'm, like, giving up on that stuff. By any sure. Means. It's just kind of, this is my little side avenue thing that that's new and exciting that I'm, I'm going to try out and see what happens, so. Well, and, and for those who are interested, I'm sure, you know, probably most people go check you out if they're not already following you. But on Instagram, he's got some pictures of the drag bike. Uh, I love the sidewalk racing one where you're just yeah. kind of <laughs> sitting on the sidewalk. It looks like, it really does. It looks like you're hauling ass and you're not even moving. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> sitting there. But I, I'm, uh, it's race ready right now, technically, that bike. But it's, it, you know, because I'm like trying to like take the fabrication thing a little more serious or get take go that route like you get better mm-hmm. i just look at every bracket on there and i'm like what the hell is this farm bracket doing <laughs> on here we gotta do it we gotta rebuild all this so <laughs> so i like uh uh i do get the chance to build that bike basically like i'm gonna i'll go through everything and, and redo it clean it up i'll leave i'll leave them the motor and tranny alone there's, it's a four speed mm-hmm. uh but it's got you know different gears and stuff in there but uh but like all the primary and every single bracket and and the whole like tail section seat and we'll just kind of go through and and redo a bunch of stuff and and kind of make it my own in that sense. But um, it is technically like race ready right now. It's really a good looking which, bike, man. It, it's yeah, it's so close to what I wanted, and it's a Cosman frame, which is cool. I was going to make my own frame. In fact, there's a whole bunch of chromoly tubing just hanging out at the shop now. Mm-hmm. Like I had it all, you know. I had stuff like my frame. I started drawing it all out and kind of had it was, were 3D modeling it and 
and then I have the chromoly, and then I had some slicks and wheels and front end, and I was kind of compiling these parts, uh, going off of doing a generator shovel version. But um, now this gear they're shifted a little bit, and I think in the in the right direction because now we have a real drag bike that you know that runs nine six right now, and um, which is fast. That's a like 140 miles an hour in three blocks. Man. Pretty. I mean, when you think of it that way, you're like, good Lord, that is kind of yeah. great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a, anyone who's who rides will know, like, you get up over 90, 100, like, it, things get a little sketchy, like, especially when you're, yeah. running, when you're running a skinny front tire, like, and, you know, this is a drag bike, so it's like, there's no tread on the, on the front tire, like, you're yeah. basically leaned over, laying across the motor. And doing 140, it, man, that's no joke. Yeah, in a real short amount of time, and that's—I mean—that's still fast when you when you talk to anybody that races. Like you, you get into the nines, you're still—that's still pretty good. Yeah, uh, you get into the eights, and you're, you're starting to get serious. You know, like <laughs> uh, you know, especially with a Harley, it's, it's yeah. a whole other animal. But um, yeah, so it, it'll be—I want it to really work. I, I do want it to look cool because I can't help that, but. Uh, I do want it to perform. Not that I want to, like, I think I'm going to go out and compete and, like, really start being a drag race guy or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any ambition on that, but I do want it to go. I don't want it to just be some bike that looks cool and, and it's, like, bullshit, you know? It's Sits like, in the shop. Well, and... Yeah, like a, a stock Sportster beats it or something, you know? Like, <laughs> I want it to be, like, <laughs> I want it to be serious, like, for what it is, but still in this, in this nostalgic way you know right within reason but uh but it is a 115 inch um shovel that's that's in delcron cases and and um axel um stainless cylinder you know it's all race looks like a race motor yeah, you know? yeah. and it's fueling frame and it's pretty crazy but we're going to go through and do mechanical fuel injection uh uh-huh. with with a hillborn injector and uh, that'll be kind of exciting that just looks crazy, but we'll see what that does performance-wise. Nice. And it, it and put a fancier clutch in, and then just do all like like I said with all the fabrication stuff, kind of clean it all up, mm-hmm. and then um, and then run it and see what happens. Then I that's the other part. I have to be the guy who runs it, so <laughs> <It'll> be, <laughs> it's like like I have these moments of like pure excitement where I'm like, this is so cool! I can't wait to go drag bike. Then I'm like, ah, I can't wait to have a drag bike. Yeah. Oh God! I have to. I have to. Yeah. Wait! That's I don't so know awesome. how to. Holy shit! I mean, you crack the throttle, a quarter turn throttle. It's like yeah, you barely move your wrist, and the fucking thing's pinned. You know, so yeah, you just think of that. Think of launching. Like, well, what if I just want to like kind of cruise down the street and just feel it a little bit? It's like nope, dude. You feel that <laughs> that motor, and then you feel the way the throttle is. There is no like cruising down the street it's yeah. like all or nothing so it's, it's either afterburner like, or nothing at all yeah it's so crazy so the guy i got it from was like hey make sure you call me when you're gonna run it i'll come out and watch it and i was like yeah i'll call you on the fourth or fifth try because i ain't gonna let anybody <laughs> watch me for a little bit kidding me <laughs> that's so rad because <laughs> you know, i was just so I'm totally nervous about like yeah. just looking like a fool but he's like don't worry like if you're just out there, people will be stoked. Like no one's gonna like think you're a fool because at least you're trying. You're not in the stands, you know, talking shit. You're like out there trying it, you know. Yeah. So I'm gonna try to run it um, unofficially for a little bit, or at least once. Um, 
out here where I live in Alameda, there's this old uh, Navy, or old, yeah, Navy ship, or not shipyards, uh, uh, Air Air Force Base. It's mm-hmm. abandoned now, but it's like, there's like people, you know, with businesses in the, air, in the old hangars and stuff, but uh, there's still the old tarmac uh, mm-hmm. that's huge, but it's kind of, it's kind of run down, but there's, there's just even the parking lot, the parking lots out front of those, um, air, those hangers are like massive. So yeah. there's like easily a quarter mile stretches of nothing, just pure concrete. So yep. I thought I'd just go out there and like see if I could crash into one of the fences or something. Think about running dual disc on the front. I don't know. Maybe. Oh yeah. No, there's a single there now. And I gotta, that's the other thing I gotta get the brakes kind of tuned up, make sure they all work good. And it has to, you have to run a wheelie bar because it won't really go, it won't launch without it. It'll yeah. just do a wheelie and crash for it, probably. Try the guy I got it, probably like, yeah. he's like, it'll pull up for sure. And the bummer is it doesn't pull up like all calm. It like jumps up and puts you off at a weird angle. So yeah, it's like, you know, pretty hairball. But uh, <laughs> he's like, you'll see, it takes off like a rocket, it feels totally crazy, but you get your wheelie bar on there and get that all set up right. So it'll only lift up so much when it does launch and then hopefully hook up after that properly and, you know, stay steady or more or less. And it has air shifters, air shifting too. So that's kind of another weird thing. Mm -hmm. There's all that stuff like to get used to not, not just to build it and like do fabrication and learn how to, you know, do the motor and all that stuff, like just riding it. Operating the things like a whole nother beast too, you know. Like, and a lot of those worlds, there's a there's a guy who rides it, and then there's a guy who builds it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're two different guys usually. Right. So to do to do it all in your own is it's a challenge because you know, like he, the guy I got it from <clears throat> was trying to coach me of like short shifting and all these techniques that he was working on at the, at the last time he rode it and. Mm-hmm trying to like make better time and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay, trying to absorb it, but it's all totally foreign to me. I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but right on. All right. You're like, I'll figure that part out. This has a big motor. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It sounds amazing. You're just thinking about how it sounds, how it looks, what you want to change. And he's like, all right. So whenever you're taking off the line, like quarter throttle all the way down, drop the clutch. And then you're going to do this and this. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Can we start it? Yeah. Yeah, start it again. I'm still, like, at that phase where I'm basically a tire kicker. Like, anybody new comes over to the shop, I'm, you know, I'm like, you want to hear the drag bike start? It's pretty crazy. Let's do that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, just starting it. No, I haven't even really, I haven't run it yet or anything. Are you running it? Oh, no. God, no. no. But it's pretty crazy starting it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has a little remote starter, so it is kind of an ordeal to start it. But, That's uh, but yeah, it's just hearing the thing like that i'm still like pretty pleased just doing that alone like just cracking the throttle stationary in the shop you know it's like holy shit yeah amazing (laughs) (laughs) man um jason this has been an awesome conversation like i i thoroughly enjoyed just hearing your stories and and um and kind of i mean especially what you got going on now i think it's a really great thing um, oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I think that, um, it's my personal opinion of where the scene is now. And I haven't been in it that long. I mean, this is, you know, going on two years, um, for me, but I've been really impressed with, you know, the people that I meet, uh, especially the guys who have been in it for a lot longer than me. Um, 
folks like yourself and um just seeing the, the willingness and and their openness to you know talk with folks and um and again you know someone that's unknown to come on a uh, to come on someone who's unknown's show i hope that makes sense and talk about your life and talk about um uh, you know motorcycles and, and your passions and stuff like oh, that oh yeah i'm i'm happy to i i like to share that you know it's uh you know, I take it, it's, it is truly a passion for me for all that stuff. So it's, it's kind of fun to like be able to like express that to people who are interested yeah. and who appreciate that, you know? So it's like, well, oh, God, I get to tell somebody uh, why I'm so weird. What I, <laughs> what I freak out on, you know, like, and they, they understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's been my pleasure. It's been cool. Well, if you want to check out more, uh, of, of uh jason's work you can obviously you can follow him on uh, instagram uh at harold's ironworks uh or you can check it out online if you don't have instagram you can just go to instagram.com forward slash harold's ironworks and also you can check out uh his website at harold's ironworks.com um currently the landing page will take you right to his big cartel store and he's got uh, a bunch of good stuff up there for sale including which i gotta just tell you how this this book strikes me because my dad's a writer uh, poet and photographer uh, in mm-hmm. his, in his retirement, and the um, the photo book that you have up there looks stinking amazing. Oh, awesome! Thank you. I really I wanted to like see it in person. Um, I just every time I get thirty five bucks, I, I'm spending it on something else. <laughs> yeah. No, no offense. No, that's <laughs> like, fine. Oh, I need I, this part, or I my kids need new pants for school. Oh, of course. <laughs> I that's life. I remember. I remember when I first got into the motorcycles, not to like try to go backwards on this yeah. whole conversation, but I remember like all of a sudden money had this different like value. It was like, wait, okay, I could spend seven bucks on this, but I think that swapped me like probably a clutch lever for seven bucks. Yeah. You know, like I could yeah. buy this burrito now or, you know, like, all, you know, every dollar has a different value all of a sudden. Like, yeah. You know, you have a different focus on what you need and you spend your money on or whatever. It's true. But um, that book was was something that a friend approached me and wanted to like shoot photos for for the brand or whatever that I was starting. It was just barely a kickstart this whole thing just recently. So mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Like I don't know. Like I thought she was thinking like a catalog shoot, and I was like, "I don't know if we have um, enough product to make a catalog." And she's like, "No, no, not like a catalog. Those are stupid." <laughs> like, no, just like a. Like a, just like a photo book, like we could make a zine or we could do this or whatever. And it kind of evolved into this actual, like, kind of like a little photo book. Yeah. And uh, the coolest thing for me was like, it was an opportunity for me to kind of work with a friend, first of all, that was really fun. And then also to like kind of express like, or set the pace for like uh, the aesthetics of the brand kind of, or kind of like what I like, you know, like mm-hmm. this is what I'm into, you know, and it's, and it shows all that kind of, older machining machine um or equipment like i i love old stuff in general so even in the fabrication world i still kind of like to have as much old equipment as i can for the most part but i also like things to work so right some newer stuff too but um so you know just in just that kind of environment and she was really into capturing all that and it was new to her too so she was just like oh this is so crazy like she's never seen that kind of world so yeah she really loved to just shoot all sorts of things, get close-ups of like, you know, little little metal shavings and get all artsy and stuff. But so she had a field day doing it, and it was super fun. And it, it honestly was like the easiest little project ever. It just kind of all fell together, 
and and then we we, we presented it as something to sell only because um, we needed to make back the money for the production. Sure. So like, well, whatever. If we sell them for this much, we have this quantity. We can pay back the printing costs and the pay the guy to the layout and all that stuff, and then it'll be you know no, it's not like a huge profiting thing, but at least it'll like pay for itself. And yeah. and we went through, we sold them all, so we don't. I don't have any books left, and that's it. So. Well, bummer for everybody else who's going to yeah. check the well, site. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's um there's a chance we'll do another tiny run, like we'll just do twenty more or something like that, just to just to, for the people who still wanted one. But yeah. uh, right now, to this moment, I don't have any more. So if anybody orders them, we'll see. If they, if I get a couple orders, I'll maybe I'll do another run because I haven't pulled that book off the site yet. So well. Uh, and to, I just want to talk for a second about the um, the point you made earlier that you said and just kind of make a point on it that, you know, I think most people know, but none, none, of, none of the sites that I go to that I visit within this community, including yours, nobody's out to make a killing and to make a huge profit off of stuff. You know, most of the time yeah. what you see for sale up here is no more than a couple dollars over, you know, what it would take to recover the cost for even doing it. And sometimes you're yeah, making yeah. a cost for things, you know, that, um, it, you know, that you, it, it, it comes down to this, really. I love buying stuff off of, you know, the, the people that I know's uh, site, whether it's whether it's you, which I haven't bought anything from you yet, but I know I will in the future because I have my eyes on a cap here. But uh, looking at, at everybody's stuff, when I buy something, I know exactly where the money's going. It's going to help them yeah. do whatever. They're going to be able to print more hats or they're going to be able to put food on the table for, you know, one dinner. Um, I, I love that about this community. That's one thing I do love. Yeah, I, I totally, I'm right there with you. I, I love to, um, I'm to support it, to support those dudes that are doing it. And you know, <laughs> you know where it's, that money's going and you know what they're doing and it, you can appreciate that they're putting themselves out there to, to produce some parts like that or to try to do this for a living in some aspect or not, you know, like, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm right there. I buy people's stuff too. I'm more than happy. I don't want to, uh, get like bro deals or anything. Like I just sneak around and buy it like, yeah. without them. You know what I mean? Like I don't, like I just bought some, um, little top clamps from, um, Caleb with Crow Customs. Okay. Yeah. Makes those little cast, cast deal things for Springer. They're bitching. Yeah, and uh, he wrote me a little like I ordered it online and on you know the, from his page, and uh, he wrote me a little note uh, back was like, "That's so cool, you bought those things." I'm so stoked, like because I think he, what I think he maybe was thinking like, "Well, we're peers. You could have just hit me up like on the side and yeah, you know, like, hey, can you give me one of those for cost or whatever?" <laughs> you know, <And> I, <laughs> you know, and I was like, "No, yeah, I'm every- down. I want, I, I want to support you and to keep this going. Those are that's a." it's a super neat product and it's done really well and it, it, it's beautiful and I wanted it. I, I got, I just updated my panhead for the Brooklyn show mm-hmm. uh, coming up. So I made some new bars and put a sprayer on it and a few different things. And, um, I used his little top class on that. So rad, really cool. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, I, I personally know how hard it is to produce parts like that or to develop something and, Mm-hmm. Try to put it out there. It's so expensive to make some of those things, especially doing small run. Like uh, you just get hammered on the cost. Like the only way to make things cheaper production is to do massive quantities. And yeah. every place you go for whether it's casting something or machining something or whatever, they just are 
they're the same. They're going to say, well, it'll be this much for 100 and then way more for 10 like you want to do. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, but I can't afford a hundred, and I don't even know if I would sell a hundred. So yeah, right. I'm doing ten, and they're going to cost too much. But I don't care because I want to make them. And and though I appreciate that people do that too, and I'm I'm one of those people who's starting to do that too. I got all sorts of silly ideas that I want to make, but I don't, and I don't do it to make money. I just I care less if any of them sell. It's just something I wanted to do. Like yeah, I, I made this little intake manifold recently. and Mm-hmm. I've been one of those for years, man. I was like, oh, I should make it for me. <laughs> I got it now. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm willing to, I want to share it with other people too. Like, yeah. maybe there's other people that would love to have had one of those too, you know, or wish that somebody would make that, you know. Well, that's what so, drives, I think that's what drives not only the community, but, you know, eventually an industry. Um, not saying that, you know, all this, as far as our, I say our, but our, um, culture will turn into you know an industry but that's how most industries started you know it's like somebody needed something and then they realized well crap like five thousand other people need this so yeah and it exactly. sudden, maybe this someone yeah. else who wants the same thing maybe they'd be into buying this thing yeah hell maybe i could uh buy some groceries yeah the profits or <laughs> right. something i don't know maybe it's <laughs> a crazy thought but maybe i can actually eat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that would be my dream is to get enough product and build the brand up to a point where it is actually sustaining something but uh for now it's just been it's just something fun and it, it's been super fun the whole time like figuring out how to, like we made this inner primary or this inner and outer primary deal i did recently and that was like huge a huge uh venture i stepped into like there was a massive amount of money to do it so uh to pay somebody to like make patterns and all that stuff so the only way for me to be able to do it was to like do it all myself so we had to like figure out how to make patterns and and do all do the whole thing ourselves i mean the only thing we didn't do is pour the actual liquid aluminum you know right <laughs> that was about it so um that was a huge learning curve on that one but it was fun it was super fun the whole time it was one of those projects that could have given up probably 10 different times that it was like so overwhelming or it's not fitting we gotta go back and make another prototype and over and over and it's like very challenging but at the end of it, it was like god oh, get it and now they're way too expensive but yeah. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those products it's like it's so involved and there's so much to it that the only way to it, it just costs way too much money it costs me way too much money to make them but um i still got uh, I think there was like six people that signed up already when I first debuted them at the uh, at Born Free show this past June. That's awesome. And um, so that was really actually surprising as hell to me because it, they they retail for seventeen fifty, which is a huge chunk of money for what for a primary cover. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, you, know, you see what's involved and how much it costs to make them. They're, they're priced appropriately, but uh, and it's it's that whole small run thing. It's like Oh, it costs so much for to do these little tiny bits of it, and it's a it's a substantial piece. It's not like a kicker pedal or something like it's a right. big involved part. There's two halves, and it all has to fit. Yep. And there's all the machining, all that stuff. So I mean, it is kind of a a big thing. To as my first product ever made, that was like pretty ridiculous to step that big. But um, <laughs> but you did. But it. We did. Yeah, we did it, and we uh, that was super cool. That was. 
whether they sell or not, I was like, I don't care because the amount of work that was to get through it, like just to get just to succeed and get done, was kind of a, an award, rewarding enough. That was yeah. that was it. That's all I needed, and and then to have people step up immediately, like half a dozen people, that was pretty crazy because it's kind of one of those products like I think people would maybe think about. Maybe they're doing their build and like they think about it for a few months or a year goes by or something, or they see more. Maybe see somebody else who's on their bike polished out, and then they're like, oh, "That is kind of cool." Maybe, maybe I would. Maybe we'll save a little, sell a couple things, and try to get the money. So, to just step up right away, bold, and just be like, "Yep, sign me up." That's rad. That was that was pretty awesome. So, and 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 I knew going into it, I would never sell very many. I was like, "We might sell twenty in a lifetime," you know. Like that's that's how I went into it. So, well, forty forty. 40. Sold. Forty years from now, whenever one of these surfaces, the midshift uh, primaries, and you'll be like, "Wow, like I'm the one that put, I put that together." And some dude's like, "I know, I wanted to bring it to you to show you. Like I have like one of like forty that that ever existed." <laughs> yeah. And you're like, "I know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, I. That's why we decided to number them. I was like, "They're going to be kind of one of those weirdo parts that we'll probably hardly make any because they're." We'll just make them to order. I'm not gonna like. They're not. I'm not gonna do a run and have them sitting on a shelf. They're they're way too expensive for that much. And the foundry was like, yeah. I mean, you'd have to order over a hundred to even get much of a price break. So hmm. he's like, we'll just we'll we'll pour one at a time if you want. It ain't gonna hurt us. So so they're like, oh, good. Then I'll just basically like you know make made the order type of thing. So. Mm-hmm. We took the pre-production orders. If anybody was really interested and wanted to get like low low casting numbers, we offered that. And then, um, so from here on out, it'll just kind of be like, if you order the thing, you're probably going to have like a two week lead time, so I can produce it. Yeah, but uh, still, for the most part, most most people will probably be fine with that because it's kind of one of those parts where you're probably okay to wait a couple weeks on a big expensive cast piece like that. So. Yeah, or at least I hope. And and the bottom line is, it's a you know, it's per, I don't want to say a one off, but it really is kind of you're getting them one off, you know, numbered. And yeah, yeah, and it's basically like handmade. I mean, we're we do all the machining, and all that stuff. Because there's a lot of of hand working, and after it comes out of those uh, of the molds, so mm-hmm. I mean, they really are kind of handmade. Each one, one at a time, and and, and that's kind of cool. I think some people will appreciate that and kind of take that into consideration like stoked that like the dude who designed this and is producing these is actually like machining it and hand sanding things and doing all the touch-ups at the end by hand like himself not like right the factory somewhere else is making them and he's just you know put his name on them or whatever yeah because i think in this war in this little industry that they're this little whatever it is that we're in it's so small and it's kind of an organic thing where that's that's what most the companies are for that kind of thing where they're doing it all themselves. Yep. And at the same time, all the consumers sort of they appreciate that, and that's what they want. You know, they don't yeah. want to like get some parts made overseas or whatever. If we all They'd wanted, rather like, yeah, yeah, exactly. If we all wanted to go do that, we'd just go buy you know not to slam any of their stuff, but we'd go buy you know Kiriak and Chrome parts and you know, slap them on our yeah. backs, but that's not the scene we chose. Like we, we enjoy 
taking stuff off the bikes more than we do putting stuff on. And then the stuff that we yeah. do put on the bike, it's usually either handcrafted or, you know, really limited runs. I mean, it's just, it's the style we like. Yeah. That's, that's the, this whole little like scene. That's what definitely is like kind of the, what people are into. And it's either that or you're, you just want to find some truly old, like original parts, or even if right. it was like an aftermarket weird chopper thing, like, but maybe it was, you know, 50 years old at this point or something. And that makes it really cool. Yeah. That, and it's the same thing. You're still, it's, you're supporting like a different generation's version. So, right. and I've, I've always just thought like, it'd be fun to be the guy who made some parts that somebody like finds, you know, 20, 30 years from now and it swapped me like, <clears throat> Like pulls it out of the milk crate, like oh my god, yeah. look, you know, like so. That's, <laughs> that's kind of so where I, because I've been that guy at the swap meet, and I just like that's my little dream. Like, I want to produce the product that makes it to that swap meet twenty, thirty years from now that stokes <laughs> somebody out, you know. That's cool. And basically, you know that 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 means you're pretty much just gonna make some really small runs of some weird little novelty parts, but. I but yeah, I have no intentions of going trying to do some like mass produced, high volume, high profiting type of yeah. manufacturing by any means. That's not <laughs> that's not my goal with all that stuff. So Totally understand. I still have some crazy dream in my head that uh eventually I will make it to the swap meet here <laughs> in Long Beach. And uh yeah. I've been there a couple times, but I'll come there, I'll I'll go there some Sunday and you know, find uh uh a Harman front end and actually have the money to be able to purchase it. And I'll be stoked. That's, I want to have a shovel with a Harman front end. And, um, that's my goal. That's my dream. Yeah. But it, it'll happen. And there's, it, it might turn up. It'll be that magical moment, you know? Yep. I'll be like, honey, quick <laughs> checkbook. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, we need money now. Yeah. Right now. Quick hurry. <laughs> Wedding myself. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for uh, talking with us um, or talking with me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was just you and me here. Um, again, <laughs> if you, if you want to see some more stuff from, from Jason, you can check out um, his Instagram at uh, Instagram.com forward slash Harold's Ironworks uh, or at Harold's Ironworks uh, on Instagram. Also, you can check out Harold's Ironworks.com for uh, his big cartel store and eventually the blog when it gets back up there. But Jason, I just want to thank you again, and um, I think we're going to definitely have to have you back on and, and talk about some more stuff as well, because it seems like you got some things in the near future that we're going to have to um, see how they went. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to touch base again. That that drag bike is going to be um, debuted at the Born Free Six, so awesome. basically to, uh, we're going to try to do a little film project, sort of, um, I don't know how many episodes, like a little maybe like three little five minute or 10 minute type of little kind of updates as we mm -hmm. build, um, through, through meditation for Mad Men. Yep. It's, a, it's kind of like a little startup kind of video thing. Um, so that, that'll be kind of interesting too. That hopefully that will like show people at, you know, as some of the main components or hurdles that we've gone over to get the bike going. So, but I'd love to touch base again afterwards and, um, uh, tell you about the journey. Cause it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the beginning of some serious journey that I'm going on <laughs> trying to get this thing going find financially and like mentally and, and, uh, like the learning curve I'm going to go through all that stuff is going to be kind of intense. So cool. I'm sure it'll make for some good story at some point. So, well, we'll be here to, to listen for sure. 
great. All right. Well, thanks again, Jason. Thank you.